Welcome to the 238th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host again today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a review of my weekend predictions, our look at week 14 of college football, our look at week 13 of the NFL, our weekly look at the NBA, and our weekly look at college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. I had a very good week in predictions uh, this week, especially in the NFL, where I went 4-0. In college football, I went 2-2. It feels like I always struggle with conference championship game predictions, actually, which is kind of weird, but um, I don't know. just happens. Um, but anyway, uh, in the NBA, I went 3-1, and and then in college basketball, I went 2-2 two two as well which means that overall I had an 11-5 and record combined, uh, bringing the overall record to 894 and 583, a 60.5 winning percentage. Um, and as long as I don't go 6-17 and next weekend, which, I mean, there's only 16 games anyway, so that can't happen. And actually, there's only 12 based on uh, no college uh, football. Um, but if I go 6-6 six and six next week, I will reach my goal of getting to 900 wins before 600 losses. Um, I would like to do that at a higher margin than just going 6-6, six and six, but you know what? If I reach that goal, I'll be happy regardless. But anyway, um, I will go back to the NFL and start talking about my actual individual predictions. Uh, the Lions beat the Saints 33-28. to I got that game right. Uh, the Lions jumped out to a really early lead. I believe they were up 21-0 at some point in this game, and uh, although the Saints cut into it later, uh, the Lions were still able to take home the victory. Um, no comeback for Jameis Winston and the Saints after Derek Carr went out of that game with an injury. Um, the Texans beat the Broncos 22-17. Same story there. The Texans had the lead, and the Broncos made a comeback, but they weren't quite able to come all the way back and take the lead and win the game again. Um, but I got that one right. Then the Rams beat the Browns 36-19. Okay, maybe this game was easier to predict because of the fact that the Browns started Joe Flacco, but that defense was still good. This game still remained close for a while. Um, and the Rams did really just kind of pull away at the end. The, the, the final score isn't really indicative of um, the fact that the game was pretty close, actually. Um, but, you know, that sometimes happens at the ends of games. Um, and then the 49ers beat the Eagles 42-19. to This game was just not close. I mean, th- this, this score was indicative of how much the 49ers dominated um, the flow of the game. They really just could not be stopped um, offensively by the Eagles. They just had no... No shot on defense of stopping uh, the 49ers attack, and as a result, uh, they got that victory. I went 4-0, um, as I said, so pretty happy with those predictions. Um, in college football, you know we're going to talk about these a lot more later, um, but number three, Washington, actually maybe not, but number three, Washington beat number five, Oregon, 34-31. That was a loss for me. Um, I did think Oregon was going to win because Washington had looked worse on the eye test for a while, but the fact of the matter is, that game was a nine and a half point line or something like that. That's just disrespectful to Washington. Um, I, I would have told you that it would have been close. If I were to do what I'm currently doing right now for all the bowl games and make exact score predictions, I probably would have said, I'm not going to say I would have said 34 to 31 because that's ridiculous because that's the exact score um, of the game. But I probably would have said something in the range of 28, 24, 31, 28, um, 38-35, I probably still would, I would have said that Oregon was going to win the game, but 10 points is ridiculous. Um, this game was bound to be close, and after Oregon got into a hole early, they just didn't have enough 
to quite mount the comeback. A similar story to a lot of teams this weekend, just like the Saints, just like the Broncos. Um, and as a result, it is Washington who makes the playoff. And then speaking of the playoff, um, Alabama, number eight team in the country heading into the week, beat Georgia 27-24. to um, They undeservingly will be going to the playoffs, um, and I will talk about that later. Um, but, uh, yeah, they beat Georgia 27-24. to Didn't see that one coming. I predicted Georgia. Um, and then, speaking of who should be in the playoff but isn't, um, number four, Florida State beat number 14, Louisville, 16-6. to uh, Look at that. Florida State got another double-digit victory. So they've won a lot of games by uh, pretty sizable margins. Yes, their offense didn't look too great, but the good news for them is that um, Brock Glenn's not going to be playing in the playoff game. Uh, the bad news for them is that Brock Glenn isn't playing in the playoff game because there won't be a playoff game for Florida State. Um despite the fact that Tate Rodemaker would have been back, and um, I guess they should have lied about Travis's injury, or as he put it, um, he should have broken his leg earlier. Really, really disappointing. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep talking about this throughout the podcast. I, I'm going to sprinkle it in maybe five or six times. I won't go too crazy on one long rant about it, but I will keep mentioning it over and over again. Um, and then number seven, Texas beat number 18, Oklahoma State, 49-21. Got that game right as well. And Texas, deservingly so, will go to the playoff after they beat Alabama on the road and really, really, really handled their business against every team that's not named Oklahoma. I mean, they didn't have a game uh, like Alabama did where they were close with UCF. They didn't have, or USF, excuse me. Um, they didn't have a game like Alabama did where they lost by 10 at home to another team in the playoff. That's because Texas was the team who made Alabama lose by 10 at home. Um, they didn't have a game like Alabama did where they struggled against a 6-6 six six team that lost to New Mexico State at home the week before and needed a miracle to win that game. Um, Texas destroyed Texas Tech in the last week of the season, so they absolutely deserved it. Um, that is not the team I am arguing at all, if you can't tell. Uh, but anyway, I'll move on to the NBA, where tournaments are decided by wins and losses. Um, the Celtics beat the 76ers 125-119. The Nuggets beat the Suns 119-111. I believe both of those games were uh, in-season tournament games. Um, but doesn't really matter because uh, I think that had already I think it had already been decided who the who was in the quarters in terms of those specific groups. Although I think the Celtics actually might have clinched their spot via that, but the Suns made it anyway. Um, then you had the Clippers who beat the Warriors one thirteen to one twelve. Got that one right as well. And the one prediction I got wrong: the Thunder beat the Mavericks one twenty six to one twenty. The Mavericks had a big run in this game, but it wasn't enough to uh, finish off their comeback. Really, really common story this week. Um, and I got that one wrong. Then in college basketball. Wisconsin came out and beat number three, Marquette, 75-64. Big win for the Badgers early on. Obviously, this is one of those wins where, down the line, this is going to be a quote-unquote signature win on their resume. Um, it will be that It will be that win for them um, by the end of the season, unless they somehow manage to beat Purdue or unless, you know, Illinois, Ohio State, uh, Michigan State, one of those teams gets on a tear and then they're the team to beat them. I don't really see that happening, though, um, but... Uh, in terms of A, Wisconsin beating one of those teams, and B, just any of those Big Ten teams going on that big of a tear. But anyway, it's a big win for Wisconsin. Um, I got the one wrong. Number four, Kansas beat number five, UConn, 69-65. That snapped UConn's giant streak. I think it was up to 24 games straight of beating um, non-conference opponents by double digits. That includes NCAA tournament games, which is crazy. Um, but Kansas, they were the team to do it. No Stephon Castle for UConn. It's worth mentioning. Um, but at the same time, big win for Kansas. Um, and UConn still looks really, really good, really, really competitive, even without one of their best players. Then number 17, North Carolina beat Florida State 78-70. Kind of had to throw 
this game in there. And also number 24, Illinois beat Rutgers 76-58. I got this one wrong, but this was also kind of just a throw it in there at the bottom of the predictions thing. But overall, a good week, a good weekend for me in predictions. Um, and my predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursday. Now I will move on to a look at college football with going with the best games of Week 14 to start with. Um, I actually talked about all these games already, so um, I, I will just mention them quickly. Uh, number three, Washington beat number five, Oregon, 34 to 31. Uh, both of the quarterbacks in these games, it has been announced, will be going to New York um, as Heisman finalists. Washington played very well in this game, uh, came up with the fourth quarter points when they needed it. Oregon did get on a big run to keep this game close. I think Washington was up 20-3 to at some point, um, and then Oregon scored 21 straight points to take the lead. Um, but Washington came back, they fought back, they outscored Oregon 14-7 to in the fourth quarter. Um, and after entering with a 24-20 deficit, they did end up taking the 34-31 victory. Um, then Alabama, they had a big halftime lead over Georgia, 17-7. Um, and Georgia did not have enough offense to make that full comeback. Um, they did outscore Alabama 17-10 in the second half, but that wasn't quite enough. And Alabama won the SEC once again. Um, and now we'll move on to the most impressive teams of Week 14. Number two, Michigan. Beat number 16, Iowa, 26-0. Look, Michigan barely got 200. I don't even know if they actually did get 200 yards of total offense in this game. It was close, but they were kind of just teetering on that border. I'm not here to tell you that that was a good, a great win for Michigan. What I am here to tell you is that Michigan took care of its business. Some other teams didn't necessarily do that. Um, and Michigan's defense just did what it was supposed to do. They took a team that didn't have much offensive momentum they played them close to the line of scrimmage, and they gave up like five first downs in the whole game, um, and they gave the offense good field positioning to score on a few different drives, um, you know, putting Michigan in pretty much goal-to-go situations, I think twice um, before two of the touchdowns, uh, and as a result, it was just a pretty easy win for Michigan, just very, very comfortable in Indy, um, and Michigan fans that made up probably like 75% of that stadium uh, all went home very, very happy. Uh, as Michigan has now reached number one, I think for the first time in the Harbaugh era. Um, I, I guess there might have been a chance that that could have happened maybe back in 2016, but I think that actually Iowa defeated Michigan uh, before Michigan could ever get there. There might have been a point where Michigan was ranked number one, um, but certainly not in a playoff um, ranking, I don't think. Uh, but anyway, Michigan will enter the playoff as the number one team in the country. Um, they will not be playing... Texas, who beat Oklahoma State 49-21, uh, that's because Texas is the three seed in this bracket. Um, I think rightfully so, actually. I, I'm, I'm okay with that one. Um, their win over Alabama is super impressive. Their one loss to Oklahoma is not that bad, and throughout the rest of their schedule, they have been dominant. Um, and then you have number four, Florida State, whose defense played really, really well to propel them to a win, but apparently to make the playoff 13-0, Beating two SEC teams non-conference on the road, uh, it's not enough. You must also win very pretty and have a lot of style points. Um, and you have to look good while doing it. And your quarterback can't get injured. Um, unless, of course, you're Ohio State back in 2014. Then your quarterback can get injured. Um, and if you win the Big Ten Championship, then even with the loss, you, you might get into the playoff. But um, if you're Florida State, though and you win your conference with a backup quarterback, it doesn't work. It, you have to be Ohio State. Um, not a dig at Ohio State, by the way. More of a dig at the playoff committee for actually picking Alabama over Florida State. Um, but yeah, this team should be in the playoff. And honestly, if they beat Georgia, they should claim the national championship because if Alabama beating Georgia 
was enough um, to propel them into the playoff, then why isn't it enough for Florida State to go 14-0 and beat that team? Um, why isn't that enough for a national championship? I don't know. We'll see. Um, do I think they're going to beat them? Probably not. But if they did, you know what? I would say that there were co-national champions this year. I would go. I would be that crazy person to say that. Um, and then speaking of this, SMU beat number 22 Tulane 26-14. Uh, and despite going undefeated in their conference and winning their conference championship, uh, after the playoff committee had decided that strength of schedule mattered, even with an undefeated team, they then decided that for Liberty, it didn't matter. And Liberty, despite having the worst uh, strength of schedule in the entire country, got the New Year's Six nod over SMU, who has a win over a ranked team, has played multiple teams from power conferences. Um, it doesn't It doesn't make any sense. If anything, you know, I can be mad about the Florida State stuff over and over again. Maybe I'm salty because I predicted them to make the playoff even with the loss to LSU at the beginning of the season, and I thought I'd look like a genius at the end of the season by the time they made it, and they did everything they could have done and they still didn't make it. Maybe I'm salty because of that. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that I don't like inconsistency in methods. I've talked about this with the NCAA tournament committee like a thousand times, how they will take one team and, you know, this team has a lot of good wins, signature wins, and as a result, we'll ignore that the metrics think they're bad. You know, the net has them maybe 50th or 52nd and Ken Palm has them 48th, that kind of a thing. And they'll put a team like that, you know, Missouri was kind of a team like that last year, um, seventh or so, like a seven or an eight seed and say, you know what? The big wins they got outweigh what the metrics say about them. Their record's good overall. They they played well in a good conference. They deserve to be in the tournament. And we're going to defy the metrics because of that. And then for other teams, you know, they'll say, well, the metrics are good. Um, I'm looking at FAU last year mainly when I say this. And their metrics are good. Their record is good. Their wins are good. Uh, but you know what? They didn't play in a good conference. So we're just going to throw out the metrics for them and go the opposite way. And we're going to demote them because of that. Okay. So I've called the NCAA tournament committee out for doing that. This is a situation where the playoff committee deserves a lot of blame for that. Um, in the in the case of Alabama, because it's Alabama, um, their strength of schedule mattered. But in the case of SMU and Liberty, because it's SMU and Liberty, the playoff committee kind of just said, eh, screw it. Liberty can take the group of five nod. Um, I'm not saying, by the way, that Liberty shouldn't have gotten it. What I am saying is that if one 13-0 team got the group of five nod because or sorry, in spite of their strength of schedule because of the fact that they went undefeated, then the 13-0 ACC champion should also be in the playoff. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, so just the methods aren't consistent, and that's the thing that I have a big problem with um, because when the methods aren't consistent, you need to develop new ones. Um, and that has been a constant thing with the playoff committee. And, uh, yeah, that's all my rant about the playoff committee. I'm glad that I somehow got off of that topic before even reaching anywhere past the 15-minute mark. But now um, that we have the playoff, I will say, look, it's going to be a good playoff. Uh, Michigan and Alabama is a great game. I also think Michigan and Florida State would have been a great game. It might not have been as as good as the Alabama matchup um, on paper, but I do think that it just would have lent itself to a different style of game. It would have been a more low-scoring type of game. Maybe you're looking at... You know, this is Michigan-Penn State. Uh, you know, Michigan-Florida State would probably be more comparable to Michigan-Penn State. Um, and then, you know, Michigan-Alabama might end up more something like Michigan-Ohio State, I think would be the way that I would compare it. But frankly, both of those games were just about as close. Maybe Ohio State game was a little bit closer. Um, and then Texas and Washington is a rematch of a great, great bowl game matchup from last year. 
Um, and I think it's going to be a great game again this year. I think both teams are better um, than they were last year. But I still think that Washington is the better team out of the two. I know that Texas is favored, but I do think especially with Ewers getting a little bit banged up in that in the conference championship game uh, and with Xavier Worthy kind of dealing with a nagging injury, uh, if those two aren't fully healthy, I definitely think Washington's going to win the game. Um, and I think regardless, it'll be really, really close. For me, it's a toss-up until I hear about those injuries. Um, I would lean Washington now currently because I we don't have information about those injuries. But um, it will be a close game. I'll make a prediction closer to the actual game um, and probably change it depending on the injuries. But now I will move on to a look at the NFL, starting with the closest games of Week 13. We will go all the way back to Thursday night to start with when the Cowboys beat the Seahawks 41-35. Uh, this was a super, super entertaining game. A lot of scoring, obviously. No punts combined, which was, I think they said, the fifth time that's happened in NFL history. Um, just a really exciting game. Obviously, the Cowboys are not going on most impressive teams um, for scraping by against the Seahawks um, and making their defense look terrible in the process, but still a fun game to watch um, regardless, and that's why it's on this list. Then you go to one of the weirdest games I've ever seen, um, the Colts against the Titans. You know, this game had everything, um, a punter injury. Uh, because of the punter injury, the Titans had Ryan Tannehill as a holder, and Tannehill didn't necessarily have the, the rhythm down with the kicker, which caused a missed extra point, and that missed extra point basically led to overtime in this game. Um, and that was after the Titans had already gotten two punts blocked, and that's how their punter got injured in the first place. But on one of the punt blocks, they returned the two-point conversion that the Colts tried for a touchdown, for, excuse me, for uh, a, a reverse two-point conversion, I guess is how you would say that. It's not a pick six, it's a pick two. Um, but yeah, this was a weird, weird game. And then all of a sudden, after, you know, the Colts have always been kind of a dink and dunk offense, especially with Gardner Minshew, he just airs one out down the field to Alec Pierce. Um, and all of a sudden, this game is over. Um, by the time the Colts get in the red zone and then throw another pass to Michael Pittman to seal it up. This was a ridiculous game, honestly. Like, I I would never advocate for watching, um, re-watching an NFL regular season game in week 13 between one playoff contender and one team that's kind of out of the mix. But... Maybe I would in this circumstance, because this game was crazy. Um, or at least, like, watch from, like, the third quarter on when all the crazy stuff started to happen. Um, then you have the Texans, who beat the Broncos 22-17. to They had a 13-3 lead at the half. Russell Wilson tried to work his comeback magic again to extend the Broncos' streak, but he was not able to do so. Um, I said last week that the Texans were looking really good, and this would be a pretty good barometer game to see. Um, where they kind of stack up and if they could be a playoff team and it would go a long way towards deciding that. And, well, they passed the test. They did get the win, as I said they would. Um, and it's a pretty important win for them. They moved to 7-5, and five, which in a crowded AFC where I think the top eight teams are all in between 9-3 and three and 7-5, and five, um, it's an important win. Um, and then you move on to the Lions. They are now 9-3 and three on the season, uh, contending for that one seed currently tied with the Cowboys, and the Niners, and only one game back of the Eagles after beating the Saints 33-28. I talked about this game a little bit in my predictions, so I won't elaborate uh, too much on it, but the Lions just playing a solid, solid game. Jared Goff had a good game, um, especially in the first half. Their defense did just enough to hold off the Saints' comeback, um, and the Lions moved to 9-3. and Meanwhile, their division mates, the Packers, got a big win uh, an upset on Sunday Night Football by beating the Chiefs 27-19. to 
you know, some controversial calls at the end of the game that actually went against Kansas City, which you don't see that happen very often. Um, but uh, the, the Packers came out and they played well, and that's the reason they won this game. They played bend, don't break defense. Um, the second half was actually even in scoring, but they limited the amount of possessions in this game. It's what the Packers like to do. Um, and while the Chiefs settled for two field goals in the first half, the Packers got two touchdowns, and that ended up being the difference in the game pretty much um, as it was 14-6 to at half, and it remained an eight-point game by the end of the game. And then you have the weird Monday night football game that ended up um, being a matchup in overtime of C.J. Beathard and Jake Browning after Trevor Lawrence ex exited the game with an injury. Um, this was odd. Th this game was really, really odd. You know, the Bengals had two weird trick plays. Jamar Chase threw a negative seven-yard pass. Um, Tyler Boyd threw an interception. Um, yeah, no other words to describe that one. Some missed field goals, but a missed field goal by the Jaguars that would have allowed them to win the game um, in regulation. Um, or I get, well, that would have eventually led to them winning the game in regulation. It wasn't the game-winning field goal. They actually did make a, a field goal to tie it and send it to overtime, but it was Evan McPherson's field goal from 50-plus that actually sealed the game for the Bengals. Um, that's an important win for them, but, uh, you know, you look at the AFC field, you look at the Broncos, they've been play They've won five of six. They had won five in a row heading into the week. Um, you look at the Bills, who are still here at, I think, six and six also, and then you look at the eight teams ahead of them that are already seven and five or better. And I just don't see a way that the Bengals make it in the playoffs with, with Jake Browning. I think with Joe Burrow, this is a different, obviously, it's a different question to answer. Um, but w without him, I, I just don't see how they claw their way out from a five and six hole to actually make the playoffs, especially considering uh, how tough their division is. Although, you know, maybe, maybe Jake Browning could beat Joe Flacco in the Browns. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that happened. So... And maybe he could beat Mitch Trubisky in the Steelers as well. You, you never know, honestly, especially with half the AFC North on backup quarterbacks in the first place. Um, but, you know, it'll be down to the playmakers on Cincy. We will see what they will be able to do. Um, but now we'll move on to the most impressive teams of Week 13. Speaking of play, playmakers, um, somehow Brock Purdy is now the favorite for MVP. I would make that Christian McCaffrey instead because um, I think he really is the engine that makes the Niners go. And, you know, Debo Samuel did probably get Brock Purdy like 100 of his 150 yards on the two touchdowns that he scored. I don't think it was 150 combined, but it was, you know, one of the one of the passes was 10 yards downfield. One of the passes was behind the line of scrimmage. Both of them were 50-yard touchdowns. Um, both of them were created by Debo Samuel. But regardless of the whole Brock Purdy MVP talk and what uh, exactly that means, um, the Niners got a really, really, really big win beating the Eagles on the road. Uh, they were favored, but look, the Eagles were 10-1. and one, The Niners were 8-3 and three heading into the week. Obviously, two of the best teams in the NFC last year. That was the NFC Championship game. Um, and these two teams have been have had sustained success for a while now. Um, but it's a good game that the Niners played. They played really, really well on the defensive end. Um, and offensively, obviously, 42 points is ridiculous. Um, not something that you expect the Eagles' defense to give up, but... The 49ers were firing on all cylinders this weekend, um, and that led to a victory. Then you have the Rams. You know, the first half was a little bit sloppy. There was a missed field goal in there. Uh, maybe the Rams shouldn't have let the Browns get the last-minute drive to get a field goal at the end of the first half themselves. But all things considered, 13-10 to at the half wasn't bad, considering that Cooper Cup had had an off week and kind of dealing with some injuries the last few weeks. Puka Nakua, kind of same thing. Um, but some big plays for both of them. 
led to the Rams taking the lead and then eventually pulling away in the fourth quarter behind an Aaron Donald safety. Kyron Williams running for running, excuse me, running for a touchdown while the Rams were running out the clock. Um, and yeah, the Rams just ended up looking dominant on the scoreboard, even though in reality it was a, a much of a closer game. But still, the Rams playing really well all of a sudden. You look at the NFC playoff picture and the Rams are right there tied for a playoff spot with, well, a giant mess of teams, including the Seahawks, including the Packers. Um, they're more involved in that mix as well. I think the Vikings are there at 6-6 six and six also. But look, it'll be interesting down the stretch to see who makes it in the NFC. Um, there, it, it, Overall, it's just not... I, I gotta just say, it's just a bunch of average teams, honestly. Um, besides those top four or besides those teams in the top four, the Cowboys, the Lions, the 49ers, and the Eagles, there's going to be one really bad division winner in there, um, and then there's going to be two wildcard teams that probably won't really compete um, with the teams they play in the divisional round. Uh, so it'll be interesting, though, to still see who makes it. Um, and the Rams definitely have a legitimate chance based on the rest of their schedule and the fact that they are already in position to do so, and now they have Matt Stafford fully back and healthy. But that's all I have for the NFL. I will move on now to a look at the NBA, although it is a little bit of a shortened look. We will only have most impressive teams of the week, just like last week. Um, and this one, I, I don't have much to say because it's been kind of a dull week in the NBA. Well, a little bit. Talk about that later. Uh, the Knicks, they went 3-0. They beat Toronto, Charlotte, and Detroit. That's a really weak schedule, but they are putting together a good season. They are 12-7 and um, and made it into the quarterfinals of the in-season tournament as well. Um, and although the schedule wasn't impressive this week, as I said... Uh, if you go undefeated, you end up in my top four rankings, although not all committees respect that same rule. Um, I promise it's the last time I'll mention the playoff. Um, I, I, I just had to throw that one in there. Um, but look, the Knicks, they, they'll be playing the Bucks tonight with an opportunity to go to Vegas for the semifinals of the in-season tournament. And we'll just have to see how they do. I mean, the Bucks have beaten them before this year. Uh, I think obviously on paper they're a better team, but the fact of the matter is you never know what can happen. Um, the Celtics beat the, excuse me, Pacers beat the Celtics yesterday after all, and we will, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yeah, before I get to the Pacers though, got to go to the second team on here. That's the Minnesota Timberwolves. They also went 3-0 this week, also played a kind of weak schedule. At least they played OKC, um, but they beat Charlotte, they beat Utah, they beat OKC. This team is just really, really good. Um, they didn't make the in-season tournament quarterfinals because of their loss to the Kings, um, and the Kings took their spot instead, but... Their 15-4 overall record is actually the best in the NBA currently, which is crazy to say, but it's true. Um, they deserve a lot of credit for what they've been doing, and I think people have people have been looking at it. You know, people know that this team is a good team, but they, they still, I guess, are more under the radar than most teams with that kind of record would be. Um, and then third, you have the Pacers. They went 2-1 this week. There were actually a lot of teams that went 2-1 this week. Only two undefeated teams, though. Um, but... They beat the Celtics yesterday in the in-season tournament quarterfinals. They beat the Heat earlier in the week. Um, then they lost to the Heat uh, earlier, earlier <laughs> in the last week. Um, so, you know, they split They split uh, a home-and-home, home, which is weird. Or actually, they played both games in Miami. But they split those two games with Miami, um, which is a decent result. And then they came back home, beat the Celtics. Uh, a very, very impressive result for them. Uh, the Pacers have been really, really good all year long, pretty similar to the Knicks. Um, in terms of record, Pacers at 11 and 8, Knicks at 12 and 7. Um, and the Pacers are kind of a arriving a little bit early. I mean, I know that Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, 
Uh, that's a strong core that you're looking at with that team. And Halliburton and Miles Turner as well, I should mention. Um, and Miles Turner has been great this season. But when you look at this, you have, I'm, I'm counting this right now as we speak, there are eight players averaging double figures for the Pacers. Um, and not all of them are guys who you would expect. You know, Jalen Smith is averaging 10 points and 5.5 rebounds on 70% shooting from the field. Aaron Neesmith has 11 points per game uh, after kind of being thrown around in trades multiple times. You knew a guy like Bruce Brown was going to show up. He's been good on the nets um, for a while, so that's not really surprising. But even he's kind of upped his scoring output. You know, he averaged 11.5 points last year in Denver, but had not been a double-figure scorer on average any season in his career before then. Um, so he stepped it up. Benedict Matherin has taken a good leap for his sophomore leap. has been pretty good. Obi Toppin's been pretty good. This whole team has just been good, honestly. Um, and it's a great thing for the NBA that a team like this has kind of come up without really you know, importing a superstar just by buying them with money. You know, they got Halliburton and Heald through trades. Uh, they got Matherin through the draft. And the rest of the team is just built around role players that have either been there before or that, you know, they signed organically like they found Bruce Brown. Uh, obviously, he was great on Denver. But, you know, this team was built, like, the right way, I guess is what I'm saying. It's built very organically. Um, they're an easy team to root for because they're really fun to watch. Um, but then you go to the Pelicans. Speaking of fun to watch... Um, Zion's back. He played two games of a back-to-back. -back. That's something that he hasn't done very much of in his career. Um, but the Pelicans had a good week. They went three and one, beat the Sixers last week. Um, and then, or sorry, earlier in the week, and then also beat the Spurs, uh, and then lost to the Bulls. But then after that loss to the Bulls at the second end of a back-to-back, -back, that's really tough, by the way, to go home, home game, uh, on Friday and then away game on Saturday. Um, they did turn around and they beat the Kings in the in-season tournament quarterfinals to clinch their spot in Vegas. So that's why they're on here. Um, I had to pick out of teams with one loss, you know, who who deserved to be on here. And I gave it to the two teams who are in the in-season tournament semis. Although there will be other teams who will clinch that spot tonight. The Knicks versus the Bucks, and then the Lakers versus the Suns uh, will decide who plays in the other side of the in-season tournament semifinals. Um, and we'll just have to see what those matchups turn out like. I've actually really liked the in-season tournament format so far, although, you know, maybe people have been unclear on it. Maybe people are still unclear on it. Um, it's still fun to watch, and people are definitely having fun with it. And I should mention, least impressive teams will return later in the season, but we're skipping over it at least one more time. I think it'll come back next week, at least because there's no college football other than the Army-Navy game. Um, so that'll make it easier to kind of, you know, take some time and actually talk about some bad teams in the NBA um, but finally, we will turn our attention to college basketball with a look at some important results in the early season contests. Obviously, the early season period kind of persists for a while, but at this point, you know, it, it, there are conference games going on. Um, there will be very many important conference games soon. The Big Ten has some big games tonight. Wisconsin, Michigan State, uh, Michigan, Indiana, the, the two that come to mind. The Big Ten has already had some big conference games, but before you go to that, you got to go all the way back to Tuesday and talk about the ACC-SEC Challenge. Normally, this is the SEC Big 12 Challenge um, that's in the middle of the conference season on a random weekend, but this year, SEC changed up the partnership. They're playing against the ACC. Uh, it ended up being a great pairing. All the matchups were really, really good, and the ones that weren't actually turned into good games anyway. Uh, but it started off with number 12, Kentucky, destroying number 8, Miami, 95-73. to uh, A great win for Kentucky, really showcasing their talent, what they can do. Uh, at that point, they had only lost to Kansas on the season, and they were rising for a lot of people, maybe all the way 
No, I wouldn't say all the way into the top five, but into that top seven or eight category, it's not exactly clear who's kind of beyond that strong group of teams that was, you know, in the Maui Invitational and kind of had those battles, and then, you know, the Yukons of the world. Um, but Georgia Tech beat number 21 Mississippi State 67-59. to That was a big upset. It wasn't even Georgia Tech's biggest of the week. I will get to that later, but a big upset to start off in the ACC-SEC Challenge. Um, then Clemson beat number 23 Alabama 85-77. to While this game was supposed to be close... Um, and Clemson was supposed to compete. I don't think many people did have them going on the road and pulling off this victory um, in what's supposed to be a tough environment, although Jay Williams didn't seem to think so um, when he was sitting courtside at that game. But Clemson, a big, big win for them um, as they eventually moved up to being ranked this week after they got another win over Pitt on the road later in the week. But speaking of upsets, Arkansas beat number seven Duke 80-75 to handing Duke their second loss of the season. Arkansas already had three losses. Um, going to 4-4 four and four early would not be great. There are many teams who have done that. I'm looking at Michigan. Um, but, look, Arkansas, they pulled off the upset. They avoided going to 4-3. and three. They stormed the court after beating Duke for the first time in a regular season matchup. And as a result, um, Arkansas got some consideration of being ranked again. I don't think they deserve to be yet, but I think by the end of the season, this will be a really strong team. Um, as always with Eric Musselman's groups. Then you go to number 17, North Carolina, who beat number Tennessee 100-92. I think it had been something like six or seven years since Tennessee had given up 90 points, and North Carolina scored 100. This team only has one loss on the season, and that was to Villanova in overtime in the battle for Atlantis. This is a team that early in the season has proven itself um, to be one of the top teams in the country. I don't think that a lot of teams have their kind of have North Carolina's kind of resume without having at least one slip up on the on the on the schedule. I mean, you look at like an FAU, they yes, they've played well, but they've also had that loss to Bryant. Um North Carolina though on the other hand, they they just haven't really had the slip ups that other teams have and now they're up to number 9 in the country as a result. Uh they'll have a big game soon though. Uh they play Yukon tonight and then they play Kentucky in their next game and then they play Oklahoma. So a top 10 matchup, then a top 16 matchup, then a top 20 matchup, um, all in their next three games, and that was after they already got through Tennessee. Uh, but I'll move on from them. Talk about Virginia, who beat number 14, Texas A&M, 59-47. Uh, this was a boring game I think to watch. I think I was on a, the plane anyway, so I didn't really see any of it, but I saw the score and decided I didn't want to turn it on in the first place. Um, still a good win for Virginia, though. This is obviously supposed to be a close game, but A&M was supposed to definitely still get this victory. They didn't, though, and Virginia looks like the team that a lot of people, not myself included, actually, because I didn't think Virginia was going to be that great. Um, they beat A&M, though. That, that, that changes the narrative um, around them for a lot of people, looking like the team that people thought they'd be preseason, um, although I won't throw myself into that group because that would be wrong. Then you have St. Joseph's. They beat number 18 Villanova, 78-65, moving Villanova to 0-2 against teams in the Big Five Classic and undefeated against everybody else. More on this story later. Um, number 20, Colorado State beat Colorado 88-83. They continue to improve their resume as the Mountain West, by the way. I talk about it every year, like they could be the fourth or fifth best basketball conference. There's a chance this is the third best conference this year. Uh, right now, as it stands, I would rather have the Mountain West teams than the Big Ten teams. If you match them up one through however many teams the Mountain West has because the Big Ten's way too big. Um, I, I do believe that the Mountain West would probably come out on top, at least in the upper half. Maybe the Big Ten's bottom half of the conference would probably beat some of the Mountain West worst teams. You know, maybe a Michigan would probably scrape out a win over like a San Jose State, that kind of a thing. But 
I do think that at the top of the conference, the Mountain West just has a ridiculous amount of depth and people don't talk about it enough, honestly. I, I do think people don't give them enough respect. You know, this is, you have Nevada's at 6-0, and you have Colorado State at 8-0, and you have New Mexico at 7-1, and they they should be a tournament team this year. Uh, San Diego State is the second-ranked team in the conference at 7-1, coming off a Final Four appearance. You have Utah State, who's 7-1. You have Air Force, who's 7-2. Boise State is 4-3. This is a good conference. I don't think people understand that. This should be a 4- or 5-bid league. Um, And I think that it's a possibility, given how they've been playing in the non-conference, that it might be that, because sometimes that that performance in the non-conference kind of brings them down. And, you know, some teams who don't get enough of the conference wins don't beat enough of the very top of the conference in the Mountain West don't make the NCAA tournament as a result. But I think this year they've been good enough in the non-con. They have some signature wins like Colorado State's win over Creighton. They have a team that was in the Final Four last year, obviously San Diego State. Um, and, you know, their only loss so far is to BYU. So there there is a real chance that this could be a four or five bid league this year, and I think they actually deserve it. Um, and then not speaking of four or five bid leagues, but speaking of a team that that has kind of sprouted up as a mid-major recently, number 13 FAU beat Liberty 83-58. to they are on an absolute tear ever since they lost to Bryant. Um, they've just been running teams out of the gym. It's plain and simple. The only team who has even competed with them, well, Butler Butler played the new five-point game, um, and A&M played the new seven-point game. Those two teams competed. Other than that, they, it's been domination. They beat Virginia Tech by 34. They got this victory by 25. Um, they beat Charleston by 16, and tonight they play Illinois. That will be a really, really interesting game to watch to see just how well FAU can continue their hot streak. Um, and speaking of Butler, they beat Texas Tech 103-95 to in overtime. I mentioned this game because that'll be important on the bubble by the end of the season. I don't know if Butler is going to be a tournament team, but that's a pretty good win for them. For Texas Tech, on the other hand, it's a win that you'd like to be able to have on the road. It would end up as a quad one win for sure. I think Butler will end top 70 in the net no matter what. Um, but... For Butler, it's a high quad two win, a big win over a Big 12 team. Then you want to talk about a win that will be a quad one win. Northwestern beat number one Purdue for the second season in a row. Um, Yet, no respect from the AP voters. Northwestern not ranked despite getting that victory. Uh, It's crazy that a team who has only one loss on the season uh, and beat the number one team in the country isn't ranked when you have teams like, you know, Tennessee's played a tough schedule, but they are four and three. Uh, Duke is five and three. Th- th- those types of teams should not be ranked. I think Tennessee, that's fair because their schedule has literally been ridiculous and they've been very competitive in those games. But Duke has lost by larger margins to worse teams um, than Tennessee has. And speaking of Duke, I'm going to skip over a few games and then come back to them later. Um, Georgia Tech beat number seven Duke, 72-68. to 68. That was their third loss of the season that I was mentioning. They did drop 15 spots in the rankings, but 15 isn't enough. They had two bad losses this week, two losses to unranked teams who combined have the same amount of wins as Colorado State does total. Um, So that's all I have to say about those two. Um, I'll go back now to Friday night, where number five Kansas beat number four UConn. I talked about this game already, but 69-65, a good win for Kansas. Number six Houston beat Xavier 66-60. I should mention that all of these games are Big East, Big 12 challenge battle, or Big East, Big 12 battle uh, games uh, that I've been talking about. All those teams that are, all the matchups that have been with Big East teams have been that. Uh, but then you move on to Saturday. I'm I'm so I'm I'm just so in shock that they played this slate of games while there were conference championship games on. Um, it's just such poor scheduling. Uh, I don't. I'm not even mentioning the Oregon and Michigan game that went to overtime. Um, that you know I was in 
um, a hotel with a bunch of Michigan fans for uh, watching the game with, and that was uh, that was crazy uh, on its own. But look, this has just been, it was a crazy week. Um, and it started with Wisconsin beating Marquette, uh, 75-64. I shouldn't say a crazy week, a crazy Saturday. Um, that was a big upset. I talked about Georgia Tech losing to Duke. Uh, number 11, Gonzaga beat USC, 89-76. That was late that night, um, but a big win for Gonzaga nonetheless. UNC Wilmington beat number 12, Kentucky, 80-73. This team is really under the radar. This team has two losses. They have two close losses. They are not as bad as people think they are. Kentucky dropped four spots for beating Miami and losing to UNC Wilmington. I don't think it was warranted. I think they probably should have just stayed about the same, maybe moved down a spot or two. Um, But they're behind Miami right now. How can they be behind a team they just beat by 30? It doesn't make any sense. But, you know, you'll never find me defending Kentucky, so... Uh, I guess leave this as the one time. <laughs> um, but that was a big upset still by UNC Wilmington. And then Drexel beat number 18 Villanova 57-55. You want to talk about Villanova's struggle in the Big Five? There it is uh, on paper again. Um, just I, I don't know what to say about this team. They're just so ridiculously inconsistent. Um, this is not how you put together a tournament resume. It's an all-time clinic on how to take your signature wins and throw them in the trash by adding quad four losses. Um to your resume that has a bunch of quad one wins. Um, but anyway, number 20, Colorado State beat Washington 86-81. to Colorado State getting the second win of the season over a Pac-12 team. Um, uh, and with that win over Creighton also that they have early in the season, just putting together a very, very impressive resume early on. Then you have number 24, Illinois, who beat Rutgers. I talked about that game already. Ole Miss beat Memphis 80-77 to to move to, I think, 8-0 on the season, if not 7-0. This is a good team. This is going to be a borderline tournament team right now. Uh, on the borderline of being ranked even, I would argue. Um, But, you know, they've only garnered a few votes based on kind of a weak schedule to start with. But Memphis is a good team, and that was a good win for Ole Miss. Uh, Then you have number 15, Creighton. I've talked about them in the context of Colorado State a lot. But they beat Nebraska 89-60, avenging their loss from last year um, against a a Nebraska team that was previously undefeated. And then finally, after a handful of games that I've been talking about for the last 12 minutes or so, Southern beat number 21 Mississippi State 60 to 59. Southern is 2 and 6 on the season, but they were still somehow able to pull off this massive upset. What a week of college basketball. What a week of college sports. A lot of controversy, a lot of fun though. Um, but that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast which will be on Tuesday, December 12th, where we will once again look back at my weekend predictions, have a review of NFL Week 14 action, have another review of the NBA season, and have another look at the college basketball season. In the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including the 4th and 24 college football poll that was posted every Monday, but now uh, won't be posted anymore. Um, And actually, there isn't one for this week as well. But what will replace that are my bowl game predictions, which will probably, I'll probably put them out next Monday, but obviously I'm going to keep changing them based on the opt-outs and transfer portal stuff. Um, But uh, something that will happen for sure uh, and won't be changing is my NCA tournament basket, my NCA tournament bracket, excuse me, that will be posted tomorrow and all the Wednesdays throughout the rest of the season and potentially more later in the season. And my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday. All of that content and more on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T H A N D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>